Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Hello, I am Ryan Pack. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. This is Soundtrack Your Life, uh, where we talk about soundtracks that have personally impacted us. Today, my guest is my friend, Christian Durrett. He is the Associate Creative Director at the Mighty Roar Agency based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And today we're going to talk about the 2006 animated film, Open Season. Hey, Christian, how's it going? Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Um, So, Christian, first question, um, why are we talking about Open Season today? Well, um, I think we're talking about this because you obviously have a soundtrack show and this is the only um, full-on soundtrack I can think of that our much-admired pal, not pal, but uh, friend in virtual reality, Paul Westerberg, has uh, completed. He's had a lot of famous soundtrack songs from like singles and like the Friends soundtrack, but it's always been like one or two songs. Um, He did like what, Nowhere Man for, um, gosh, I'm totally blanking out on the movie. Didn't he do I Am Sam, Sam, right? I Am Sam, I Am Sam. I could, um, yeah, I could visualize the movie, but I could not think of it. But yeah, it's like his only um, soundtrack. Full-on soundtrack, I guess, except for his uh, Come Feel Me Tremble soundtrack, which was really just a Paul Westerberg album. But uh, yeah, we both love Paul, and thanks for inviting me to talk about this. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on. Um, So I think what's also interesting about Paul Westerberg um, doing this album is it's for a a children's film. Yeah. Now, I didn't uh, see it. Did you see it? (laughs) I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, I have seen it with my boys. um, And like watching a lot of movies with kids, you don't necessarily make it all the way through. I kind of feel like we saw open season two, maybe more than we saw open season. But I do remember basically seeing it. But it's been a few years. I thought I might get them to watch it before (laughs) discussing the soundtrack. But, you know they're going to watch what they're interested in. And I don't think they were going to rewatch something they saw two years, two years ago. So, um, so technically, yes, I have seen it. Uh, I do remember some of the songs in the movie, but I think there's like an orchestral score they added at the last minute. I feel like the music's really not in the actual movie very much. Have you seen snippets or? I have seen 0% of the movie. No, <laughs> I just bought the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so do you plan to watch Open Season with with your daughter? Before I started researching it, um, my answer would have been, you know, no hard stop, like absolutely not. But you know, I think 
after looking at who's involved with the film, like Sony actually brought on some pretty impressive people to do the movie. Yeah, Roger Allers was co-director of The Lion King. And then his co-director on this film, Jill Colton, um, she had a stint at Pixar. And then um, she is the first female director of like a major motion uh, cartoon. Oh. Nice. And then the guy that scored the movie, who did all the orchestral stuff, um, Ramin Jawadi. Um, this was like his first... Um, this was the first film that he did by himself. And now he is huh. he is known for scoring Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. It kind of started, I guess, because um, Paul was in L.A. like trying to shop around. This is literally the words. We were out peddling songs from the Foker uh, to film companies to see if we could place a tune. So he was out in LA, which is weird. Cause I'm like <laughs> trying to think of what on Foker could be on a movie soundtrack anywhere. And so he met with this woman, um, Leah, say this woman, uh, she was basically the soundtrack director. Um, so she was pretty high up, uh, executive, um, in Hollywood. And so he met with her last and I guess she was the one that I don't know if she was the fan or what uh, she obviously knew he was. And she was the one who brought up open season um, as could be a Paul Westerberg soundtrack. Yeah. And then it says she was joking that she'd send me a nice romantic comedy next. I could do it in a month or something. Uh, so uh, yeah, so he was approached by someone who obviously was aware of his uh, songwriting prowess, and it just happened to be a little kid's movie. And the songs on here, they're kind of like, they do kind of remind me of like some of the Friends soundtrack songs, which are like great songs. They're just catchy. They There's like substance behind them, but they're light and catchy, and it's not like a deep uh, Paul Westerberg vibe, but there's still really good songs. Like, and you know, there's some like adult things going on in the songs where you're like, how did this get into like a cartoon movie about bears? I think, uh, I think it's just Paul's like, I hate the word cleverness. Um, his wordplay, his wordplay is great. Um, as always in, and there's always been like, an element of wordplay to like every everything the replacements have ever done and i just thought it was kind of appropriate he was doing um a kid soundtrack because some of his wordplay verges on what i call a dad joke like and i mean that in a not a derogatory way like obviously the right to arm bears is like i mean i feel like it's just it's so bad it's good you know mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like waitress in the sky. It's um so bad it's good. Um my probably one of my favorite lines is um the beginning of better than this where he says I'm a, a knight in shining armchair yeah. which is like that's like so replacement. It's like 
that could have, I mean, the whole vibe, it's like man without ties, don't dress for dinner. It's just like, in a way, Paul was like, before Cobain, like invented slackerism, you know, or not really Cobain, but Malcolmists maybe. Like he kind of invented the, um, you know, the single guy, like kind of half-assing his way through life. So that was just one of my favorite lyrics off the whole soundtrack. I'm like, this is a kid's album. Like basically talking about a guy who just sits in his, sits on his ass, you know, in his armchair trying to figure out what to do with his life. So that's just one of the ways where it's like, yeah, it's a soundtrack, but it's also still very much a, a Paul Westerberg vibe to or philosophy, I guess you would say. Um, yeah, seven out of 10 tracks are actually Paul, but I think he wrote nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10. Do you know? Um, he did not write, well, there's a talking head song in there, which he obviously. Oh, and, oh, there's a talking head track. So of course he didn't write that, but um, that's like, then, I want to lose control song, which is not. Yeah. He didn't write, I want to lose control, but he did write no. wild as I want to be. Yeah. And have you heard the, uh, non-death ray version, the Paul version? I did not get to that. Yeah. Well, it's on YouTube, so it's better than the cover. Yeah, I didn't know the who Death, Death Ray was. I was like, yeah. "Why? Who is this band, and why is Paul writing songs for them?" And yeah, Death, and I Death it Ray up and is it's like a guy from Cake or something. Yeah, it's like two guys from Cake yeah. that like left after the first album. Yeah, yeah, not a fan. I mean, I mean it's I, not horrible, but it's jarring to like have some good Paul songs and then this. It, I don't know. Yeah. Bouncy poppy song. Oh, I did find out that um, I Belong, the piano ballad, that was co-written. That's co-written with uh, Ramin Jawadi, the guy who scored the movie. Oh, uh, okay, cool. And then I believe Pete Yorn does a cover of that at the end. I think I saw on a Paul, Paul Westerberg fan site, I think it was paulwesterberg.net, that they were actually pushing the soundtrack pretty hard. Like, I think they mm -hmm. had some sort of flyer from, you know, for your consideration, I belong for best song. Like, I think they were trying to oh. push it for like award season, like Golden Globes and an yeah. Oscar consideration. I don't know what I was thinking with this soundtrack. I guess I was kind of hopeful that it would lead to more reduced albums after this, even though I loved the. Uh, 49 minutes and the 505 um, kind of guided by voices reduction vibes on those. But um, yeah, I'm kind of surprised this didn't lead to more, you know, higher level production Paul albums with uh, songs not tangentially about bears. So yeah, I think the I Don't Care's album is probably the closest as far as like him yeah. trying to make a proper album and with a band name like the i don't cares he's clearly not right trying to right. make a lot of money on it yeah he recycled a few songs on that one but uh it's a very solid album with his uh girlfriend i don't know if it's still his girlfriend but uh who's obviously super talented in her own right um 
Yeah, I really like that album. I feel like the time between the albums is farther between now, so I get excited when something new comes out, but I'm also like, oh, I wish he would release something every like two years or a year, but it seems like he's slowing down on output. Yeah, because during the his indie days with Vagrant, um, yeah. you know, mono, stereo, come feel me tremble and folker like i felt like they yeah they came out like really quickly so i know that open season came out before you had kids um was something like a soundtrack done by paul westerberg for like an another children's movie like does that move the needle for you as a parent (laughs) does it move the needle for me to see the movie or, yeah, like uh, like if like if a new animated yeah, film came out, and I mean, obviously Paul's one of your favorites, but like yeah. when when they do when Hollywood cooks up something like this, <clears throat> you know, does it help you as a parent stomach yeah. having to see this movie? No doubt. Um, I kind of feel like a lot of um, kids soundtracks now are like, I mean my kids like like the trolls movies and they're just cover songs i mean i don't hate those movies but it's hard because i think it's hard to do original soundtracks now um because just commercialism and they're trying to pander to you know it's easier to sell cover songs um Maybe it's the whole Glee thing and, you know, rehashing, you know, famous songs from the 70s, 80s, 90s and nostalgia and all that. But I think it seems to be hard to sell like a real like singer songwriter soundtrack anymore Um, because I can't remember the last really good one that I heard, especially for a kid's movie. I think Paul um, commented on that, not bitterly. He just said something like, you know, they ended up just putting an orchestral score over open season. And it just, you know, <laughs> he said, I think he said uh, the the guy who scored it, you mentioned, you know, beat him out. But I, I just think it's like, it's just the nature of, rock pop music you just can't coordinate a paul westerberg song with a dancing bear for more than like a certain amount of time and have it work you know so paul gets commissioned to write these songs for open season in 2006 um Mm -hmm. and i think that's i think that's important because this is after um what what I believe Josh Fries would call Paul's trying to be a professional musician phase. Right. Um, so it's a little bit of a surprise, right? Like he had gone to, um, he had gone to an indie label. He was doing albums there and basically just out of his basement mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. And then all of a yeah. sudden, and then all of a sudden he's playing a movie premiere in LA with Tommy and Josh Fries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's like, it's so weird, the production ups and downs his uh, solo careers had from, you know, it, it was like up here maybe with 14 songs and then eventually it was a little more lo-fi and then 
well, the third one was like Don was, but I don't know that that was kind of a. I mean, it's it kind of felt like it sloped down the mono where it was like in his basement, and then you know, then back we're back to like real production on this. So. Yeah, I mean, even when he was promoting mono, like there's that Letterman performance where he's dressed yeah. as Grandpa Boy with like yeah. the mittens on his coat and. Yeah. Yeah, I think like uh, mono is probably my favorite. Um, it could be my favorite solo album. It's just like very Keith Richards and very back to the basics. I mean, you know, guitar and drums, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was on Letterman. Oh, a version of him was on Letterman. A version of him. Yeah, I think everyone thought he had kind of lost his mind, like going, going full in on the Grandpa Boy thing. There was like an EP before that, but um, I mean, I liked it. Yeah, it was a version of him. He was playing some version of Paul Westerberg. Yeah, I just remember it was like him and a drummer. Yeah. Um, I think the guy's name is Bobby Bland and he played with Prince. So, Oh yeah. 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 I'm, not, yeah. I'm familiar yeah, with him. He's like a Minneapolis staple. Yeah. Yeah. I think he plays with soul. Yeah. The big guy. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I love that performance. Yeah. It's so memorable, <laughs> but it's also it's like, like, wait, does he have like mittens pinned to his like coat? Hanging. Yeah. <laughs> mittens, not gloves. Yeah. I'm um, so a, I think I believe it was a few months before the open season soundtrack came out. They also came out with that replacements best of with um, a couple of brand new songs. Is that the one with "Come on, Come on, Come on"? Um, or it's the one with the like "Message to the Boys" and "Pool and Dive." Message to the Boys. Okay. No, "Come on, Come on, Come on" was in uh, like a Besterberg or Resterberg, one of those compilations. Yeah. Those are so both not... actual albums, not yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Message to the Boys was technically, um, a replacement song with Tommy, I believe, right? Um, I think Paul's on the lead, but it's a song about Tommy. Yeah, okay. And I think Chris Mars sings backup vocals on Pool okay. and Dive. Pool and Dive, oh, Pool and Dive, yeah. Yeah, Pool and Dive, Message to the Boys, yeah, those are great. But I think that I think the those songs of the reunion. Yeah, I think yeah. those songs plus these open season songs got us replacements fans into a fervor that a reunion was imminent. It was gonna happen, yeah. But I think shortly, was it a year after that when Paul drove the screwdriver through his hand in his basement? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Um yeah, I remember being bummed. I mean, I got into Paul and, well, I guess I knew who Paul was in high school when I was 16, so that was like 92. Um, but I, my first replacements album was Let It Be when I was 18. My first exposure to Paul Westerberg were those, um, was probably like Dyslexic Heart or, you know, what was the song in the Friends soundtrack? Um, was that Stain Your Blood? Maybe I, maybe I ran I know, into Stain Your Blood later. Didn't they make a video for Sunshine? Or, I think Sunshine. Oh, yeah, Sunshine, a, yeah. But, which is a cover, I think. Yeah, 
No, that's a cover. What was that in? Was that Friends. on? That was on the Friends soundtrack. soundtrack as well. That's like a '70s pop song, right? Yeah. I think Paul is very comfortable with '70s pop. You know, I kind of feel like the replacements were kind of like if like new wave never existed. You know, I mean, obviously there's punk influence and very much in stink, but even Sorry Ma is kind of like 1950s rock played twice as fast or garage rock less than it is punk. You know, it's just like, I think Paul's got one foot in the past always in a good way, but I never got to see him solo. Um, I got to see him um, on the mono tour, mono stereo tour and one show after that and an in-store but yeah, I remember when he put the screwdriver through his hand, I was like sad because it sounded like I might not get to see him for a few years. Yeah. And it just seemed like such a replacement sort of self-sabotage thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Not that he did it on purpose, but you know, just the timing right, of right, everything. Right. Like, you know, he's yeah. kind of picked himself back up. He did the soundtrack. They're doing all these reissues and then screwdriver through the hand. Yeah. And how long was he, do you remember how long he was like sidelined by that? Um, I don't know exactly how long he was sidelined, but he didn't do anything between open season until he did that 4049, right? That 4049 yeah. thing for Amazon. No, right. So they don't reunite till 2012. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. And then they started playing shows in 2013, right? That sounds right. Yeah, I looked it up. I saw him in 2013. Yeah, Shaky Knees Fest. But yeah, so that was like what then? Does that make it six years in the making or? Yeah, six years. Took a while. And they did songs for the, um, the Slim Dunlap. Well, they did like four cover songs for that Slim Dunlap tribute album or a fundraising album, whatever you want to call it. Right. Songs for Slim. And those were covers, though. Yeah, yeah, those were all covers. One was a Chris Mars solo song, too. Or Chris Mars did it all by himself. It wasn't the replacements. Oh, yeah. He did the art for the album. Yeah, but he, he was like, like, no more replacement stuff for me. Yeah. And I was reading about the reunion, and um, Paul wanted... Paul wanted Chris to be on. Um, I don't know if there's any bad blood between them or before or not. Um, he didn't play much on All Shook Down, I think, which is, you know, I love that record. It's basically a Paul record, not a replacements record. Did It was All Shook Down. It was basically a little bit of Tommy, but it wasn't really a band record, right? Right. It was a bunch of like session yeah. musicians. Yeah. He wanted Chris Mars on the reunion tour, but uh, Chris Mars turned him down. And supposedly Paul was bummed about that because he wanted, you know, as full a band reunion as possible. So we worked together in like 2011 ish, right? I think that's. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 
So it yeah, bummed me out good. that like you moved and then the replacements got back together. Yeah. 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 I know we like texted each other about it or something. Um, yeah, that wasn't great timing. Uh, did you go with any of our people we went to gigs with Jessica or, you know, anyone like that? Yeah. I went to every replacement show with Jessica and I know that she went uh-huh. to be even more cool. without me. Yeah. <laughs> good for her. Yeah, I think she That's did. Hardcore. I think she did Riot Fest Chicago. I think the first one was Toronto, right? It was Toronto, Chicago, Denver. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, so I think she did Chicago, and then she and I went to Denver, and that was a lot of fun. And then you saw them at the Shaky Knees. I saw them at Shaky Knees, and uh, you know it was like a your typical three day festival. There were there were a few other bands I wanted to see, but I didn't want to pay whatever all three days. And I had little kids. So, um, I got a one day ticket and I, uh, someone I talked to on the alt country board was going, he lives in Tennessee. So we met up and he's a huge replacements fan. So we met up and had a beer before and it was just like them and modest mouse. And I think I tried I don't remember if Modest Mouse was before or after, but I think I tried to see a few, you know, half a set of Modest Mouse, but it was pouring. It was a great show, but uh, we were just like, the whole mission was to like go as close to the stage as possible. So that's what we were there for. And we, we did okay for a festival. Yeah, Which, was... Uh, what was your favorite show? Um, I mean, it's hard to not say the St. Paul show because, you know, it's being back in Minnesota with them. Um, I was on the rail for Ride Fest Denver, so that is also pretty special to me. And it was my first time seeing them on the reunion, and I think the first time is always kind of the most special because, like, you don't know what to expect. I also got um, the really sloppy encore in Denver, which was fun. Um, They started with Hoot Nanny with Paul playing the drums. Yeah. And they didn't finish that. And then they like couldn't finish anything else. And then Paul just took his mic, disconnected it, and chucked it into the crowd and walked off stage. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I felt like was as replacements of an encore as you can get. Like they fell apart in spectacular fashion. Right. Yeah. My show had uh, Billy Joe from Green Day, which uh, not, I don't hate Green Day, but it, I was kind of like, why does the Green Day have to be here? But uh, he's great. I, he wasn't like, uh, you know, he probably got a shout out at the end, but I don't think half the people knew who he was. He was just the guitar player in the band. So it was, uh, I felt like it was a, a full-on replacement show. I mean, obviously, would I love Slim Dunlap, but he was unable to be there because of health conditions but tommy i mean it was it was the tommy and paul show so they did switch instruments i don't remember if it was on hoot nanny or not that's probably the only thing that would have made sense but i mean it was good sloppy fun i mean i was i was very satisfied and i'm uh trying to look up their playlist from when i saw them um uh, they started out with um, Taking a Ride, which was, uh, I was in heaven for that. 
and then Love You Till Friday, and then third song was Maybelline. Actually, yeah. I don't see anything on here. I don't recognize it. You know, I think they did a false start on um, some sort of blues song, which is not on this list, but, you know. Yeah, I think Love You Till Friday and Maybelline, they would, like, jump back and forth between the two songs. Yeah, yeah. They did a Judy is a Punk Ramones cover, obviously. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, you know, they would not cover anything that was made before, like, 1980. No, no. Uh, they ended on IOU, which I remember very well. Mm-hmm. Um, they did Customer before that. Yeah, I mean, it, the set list was, um, you know, I don't know how many people know Customer, you know, who are in the crowd for old people like me so they they definitely didn't just like try to play like their top 15 recognizable songs which i appreciate right yeah they they kept the set list pretty varied like i think they played like i will do at every show and you know kiss me on the bus but i think they were pretty good at switching things up like i only saw hoot nanny i think at the denver show um, in Minneapolis, he did, or in St. Paul, in St. Paul, he did Skyway. Um, we got unsatisfied there as well. He definitely put his like heart and soul into it. Like he was, I know there was something about how they didn't do the sound check a couple of the shows, and they were kind of half-assing it. But I mean, all was like in in top form. Um, I remember at the St. Paul show. They did play Love You in the Fall from the Open Season soundtrack. They did? Yeah. Really? And like nobody... I would have that if they had done that. And nobody yeah. around me knew uh, what the, what song it was. Right. Everyone was confused. Right. And I remember distinctly there was this girl. And for some reason, I knew she was from Buffalo. And she was like, it's from the Open Season soundtrack, you idiots. <laughs> Um, yeah, I kind of wish I hadn't seen him at a festival because you know what a festival is like. You get like, you know, it's mostly only people who are 23 can endure a summer festival. And a lot of them are there to see other bands. So I kind of felt like half the crowd was not necessarily there to see the replacements. They just, you know, or they were cool, which is great and all, but it wasn't like a tight group of people who were all probably roughly my age or older. Um, there wasn't like a camaraderie of seeing them at like one of the smaller or not smaller, but medium sized clubs in Atlanta. But, you know, that was their only appearance in Atlanta. So had to, had to take, uh, take what I got. Well, what's funny is that riot fest, you know, it's kind of this punk rock festival. Yeah. Um, so they were headlining the night that we went to and the band before them was AFI. Mm-hmm. So we were maybe like five, 10 rows back when AFI started. And then the second, yeah. the second AFI finished, all their fans just left. Yeah. And then the rail was free for all the replacements fans. Uh, nice. Do you think there will be another reunion or you think that's it? Um, I don't want to sound cynical, 
but I think it'll be only if Paul needs the money. Yeah. Like, I think he's kind of That's over fine, it. Though. I think he's just kind of over it. Yeah. You know, he was doing that t-shirt um, thing at the end of the tour. The t-shirt like, I will, thing. I was I will not hold my, yeah. my past or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't think he wants to do it again, but I'm not, I don't yeah. think it's, I, I think it's still possible. It will happen. He was, uh, he had a t-shirt on the Atlanta show, if I remember right. And I don't remember what letter it was, but I think that was like early enough where no one had figured it out <laughs> what he was trying to say. But, um, yeah, whoring my past is, uh, such a, such a Paul thing. Yeah. The self-hatred with him is pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, um, see any of those shows around whatever stereo mono come feel me tremble era where it was just Paul and like guitar. No, I've only seen, I've only seen video clips. Yeah. I, um, I think it's the second show I went to where the one where he would like call fans up on the stage and sit on the couch with them, which I don't know. I, I think I would have felt like really self-conscious doing that, but in retrospect, like how freaking cool would that have been to have done that? Cause you know, all you had to do is be in the front row and basically raise your hand or just jump on stage. Like he didn't care. I'm sure he tried to keep like a, a male female balance. So it wasn't like a sausage fest or anything, but uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. Cause I remember being in the, you know, standing room, uh, space in front of the stage and people jumping up there. So those were, those were really cool shows. I don't remember if you signed autographs after I've seen in shows with Jay Mascus where he does. And uh, those were, I don't know if they were really awkward, but it felt awkward just because it's Jay and, right. um, you know, uh, I don't think I did anything weird, but it felt weird. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me, you know, and I'm like, thanks man. And he just kind of gave me a blank stare and it's just how he is. It wasn't like, you know, yeah, I've heard Lou Barlow. In yeah. You, where you've he... seen him in interviews. It's like, it's, there's yeah. always a weird tension of silence there. It was uh, it was such a Jay Mascus record signing. It was perfect. It was cool. I can't imagine anyone having a normal interaction with him. No, but I love his interviews. I mean, not to um, sidetrack this conversation, but uh, yeah, I think Paul and um, I would say three of my favorite musicians we probably share in common, like Paul and. Malkmus and um, and Jay, they always give great interviews. I, like I've never read a Paul interview where I'm like, oh, this is boring, whatever. Like he always kind of reveals something new in every interview. It's probably because I'm a like super fan, but uh, like you know, he's a he's a poet. Like he says witty, funny things, and you know. Right. He's, got, and he he's got a dry Midwestern sense of humor that I appreciate. So, 
and he knows when he knows certain things people are going to totally run with it like he yeah is strategic he with, with what he says you know yeah no you're from minneapolis right yeah i'm from the suburbs of minneapolis um did you uh i think it's on soundcloud or somewhere someone interviewed him about the death of prince and it was uh it was pretty touching um you know he was saying he looked up to prince and prince was like you know beethoven to him and he's like i can't even compare what we did you know when we were when we were kids like you know they recorded at paisley park um i can't remember what album but he was don't, he don't said, tell a soul you know he was basically in awe of prince so uh, it yeah, seems like the two great Minneapolis icons, one commenting on the other. Yeah, I saw a couple really nice interviews he did uh, regarding Prince's death. Um, one of them was just a quick little anecdote where he said that he saw Prince, um, I would assume it's at First Avenue. He said he saw him in the bathroom and he just said, what's up mm-hmm. to Prince? And Prince just said, life, and then walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then um, he told another story about um, recording at Paisley Park and I think Uh this is and he didn't say it by name say the person by name but I assume um, he's talking about Bob but he said that you know he said a friend had passed away in the middle of the recording session and when they came back to the studio Prince had just filled the studio with balloons like the whole studio was just covered in balloons well, I think he said when Prince died, he said there was just like silence in the neighborhood. It was like poetic and uh, he didn't know what to do, Paul. And um, so he's like, I went out and I bought some really, I think these were his words, really colorful clothes, <laughs> which I'm sure they were great. I would like to see what he bought. Um, Cause like, you know, He's a he's a snappy dresser in his own way. Sometimes with like duct tape and stuff, like <laughs> the "Come Feel Me Tremble" tour. But um, right. yeah, he said he went out and bought colorful clothes to honor Prince. And he's like, I didn't know what else to do, but he said I thought Prince would have liked that, so thought that was pretty cool. After the after the St. Paul show, uh, the day after, I proposed to Eunice. Nice. That's why we were there. Did she go with like, you? So yeah, she went, she went with me to the replacement show. So that yeah. was kind of the reason for going out there in the first place. Um, was she a fan at all before you guys got together? Or? No. No. Did she come around or is she just like, I appreciate some of this or? Yeah, I think it's she appreciates it. She'll, you know, she can, she can now, you know, pick out replacement songs, like on a playlist, like, oh, it's a replacement song. Yeah. Oh, this sounds like Paul Westerberg, but you know, she wouldn't go out of her way to listen to it. Right. But, you know, I was like, oh, replacements are reuniting in, you know, the Twin Cities. And then I got, and then she goes, so are are we going? And then I was like, oh, interesting. You want to go? And then, and then, and then I started scheming. I was like, well, right. we're going to be there anyways. Let's see how this, let's see if I can make yeah. things work for for this other th- big moment in my life. Right. Let's, let's, let's couple them together. 
So but yeah. she understood like what it meant to you and all that. So yeah. So she's like, are we going? And she's like, I've never been to the twin cities. It'll be fun. I was like, okay. Yeah. Well, let me make it very memorable for you. <laughs> well, thanks Christian for coming on the podcast. It was great catching up Thank with you. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Um, if you're in the Atlanta, if you're in the Georgia area and you need a ad agency to represent you, um, you can look up the Mighty Roar. That's MightyRoar.com. And uh, Christian will right. be more than happy to help you out. Thanks for the plug. Uh, you're welcome. Um, let's keep in touch. Uh, let's do this again soon. Yeah, definitely. It's been fun. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.